Welcome back, Foster Care Nation, to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey, the podcast. Today we're talking with Brian Haish. Brian is a young man who spent the majority of his youth in foster care. He eventually aged out of the system, and if it had not been for his last placement out of over 20, he would have left the system without a solid foundation intact. And he tells us his story today about what caused him to show up in foster care, some of the troubles and the damage and the abuse that he experienced while he was in the system, and how that one family at the end helped him find his way out and become the man he is today. But we like to talk about all things kid-related, whether it's foster kids, bio kids, adopted kids, step kids, or anything else. I think the information you'll learn here will be very valuable. We'd like to bring you guests who have either been foster kids themselves, lived with foster kids, or maybe even people who are helpers, like psychologists and caseworkers. If you have a story that you'd like to have highlighted on our show, please feel free to contact me at fostercareuj at gmail.com. We can chat and set up a time to do an interview. I'd love to be able to tell you your story. We're here to inspire you to become the best parent that you can be, whether that is a step-parent or bio-parent or foster or adoptive, what we really want to do is change the world for the better and leave it in a better place than we found it. Now on to the show. Welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason. And Amanda. Today we have Brian Hayes here with us. Brian is a guy I met in a dad's group that we uh, were both in. And when I put out a, a question to see who had some insight into the life of a foster child, Brian messaged me. After our subsequent conversations, I realized that he had a whole lot of experience that he could bring to this conversation. From my wife and I's point of view, we've been foster parents for a lot of years. We've dealt with foster kids. We've dealt with adoption. We've dealt with a lot of those sorts of things, but neither one of us ever experienced foster care. Brian had that experience, and he's going to share it with us today. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing quite well. Good deal. I know we talked a little bit earlier. You are a single guy, but dating a woman with, and you've got a four-year-old daughter that is hers who just calls you daddy. Yes. Well, I'm just going to say we did the same thing um, when I was a lot younger, and I can have to applaud you for just taking on the role of dad and not making all those bio you know, biological distinctions and making a big deal about whether or not that matters because what kids need, as you probably well know, is a stable, structured family around them, people who care about them and love them. And I can see that you're doing that today, and I can only imagine that comes somewhere out of your soul for where you came from. Yes, it sure did. It came out of, you know, me not being stable um, through the foster care system and not having that... Um, reliability of a stable parent because I was moving all the time. How old were you when you came into care? I was six years old when I first came into care. Six years old, wow. And you said you aged out of care? Yes, I did. I aged out of care on November 15th of 2010. Wow, that's almost like a day that's etched in your mind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us about, you know, what, what brought you into care to begin with? Um, so my dad was very physically abusive and also um, he did different types of drugs when we were growing up. 
Um, and so my sister had gone to the the local police station um, where we were living at the time, which is Pastor Police Department, and reported him. And so CPS came and got us and took us into care. Um, and I just, some of the memory I have from that night is just being shook awake um, to get dressed and to get going. That has to be shocking for a six-year-old kid who didn't know what was happening. Yes, it was very shocking. Um, I had some um, anger issues because I didn't know what was going on. I just got thrust from my dad's home into foster care in the middle of the night. So, so like asleep in your bed, woken up and saying, you got to go. It still, I still play it over in my head, just thinking about everything I've gone through. And, you know, I, I'm one of those people. I am a Christian. I thank God that I went through this experience because it has taught me so much that I know what to do, you know, when I have kids of my own, even when with my girlfriend's kid is I know what type of parent to be. Did they give you time to get clothes, your stuffed animal, favorite blanket, anything like that? Um, they gave us a little bit of time just to get a few items um, in a little duffel bag, and that was about it. Then they took us from my my dad's home, and that same night we went into our new foster home. Um, and they were my foster parents off and on for the whole time I was in foster care. Um and I went to a different one, so. Now you say we, did you have siblings? Yes, I had two brothers and two sisters. Uh, my sister, Rhea, she was the one that went to the Pasco Police Department to report everything that was going on. Were you guys able to stay together that night? Um, yes, my brother Bobby and my brother David and my sister Nicole all stayed together um, but my sister Rhea she was not the perfect child but <laughs> she went to a different home but we were able to see her even though she was not in the, the same house that we were and I understand that's that's why I was asking because sometimes I know nowadays they really try to keep siblings together, but that's not always possible, especially when there's more than just, you know, two or three. It's hard to find placement for five children. Yes, it is. Were you guys always able to stay together or did you guys eventually get separated? From age six, when I got into foster care up to... Uh, it was about age seven, age eight. Um, I went into different foster homes, just myself, my brothers and my brother, my two brothers and my sister stayed at that house. But I went into fo different foster homes because of the fact that I was thrust into foster care at age six and I was still having those anger issues and not, not, um, knowing what was going on and being able to express myself because 
it was a big deal. That is a big deal for a six-year-old. Six-year-olds aren't very good at expressing themselves normally without the trauma. I can only imagine how that trauma would would make you go inside and try and kind of hide who you are because of the fear that's associated with, with that. Yes, that was very traumatic. And like I said, it's something that I've learned from. And I thank God that I went through the experience um, of being able to learn from what I shouldn't do. So how many houses were you in total? How many different placements were you a part of? Um, so <laughs> I don't have the actual numbers, so it was probably about 20, um, or more. It was when I was with the first wash home, I went from them to a different home and I would stay with those homes for about six months at total. Um, then I'd be moved again to a different home. I went from, um, some of the area that we live in, I went from Kenwa to Pasco to Richland to West Richland to Burbank to uh, Finley to Benton City um, to I lived in a group home in, in Idaho, uh, Lewiston, Idaho, um, for about a year because of everything. Oh, wow. Out of all of those placements, were any of those kinship placements like family or was each time a new stranger? Uh, each time it was a new stranger. So um, a little bit about when I first came into foster care, um, my mom had the chance of um, getting us back, but she didn't want to go through all of the stuff that the state wanted her to go through. So we went to different homes, um, all new people, people we didn't, people I didn't know. And so it was very strange because, you know, you get used to someone after a few months of living with them that you get comfortable with calling them mom and dad. But then after six months, okay, here's another person. That's got to be really hard to build trust and relationships. Yes, it it has been. Um, I still have issues with it, but I'm working past that because of the fact that um, the last family that I lived with had me the longest time. They had me for four years, which I appreciate them to this day, and I still go see them to this day. And they're part of my life. Wow, four years. Now, is there a reason why um, adoption wasn't an option? Um, I don't know about that. They never told me if I was up for adoption or what the situation with that was. So I see. So your parents probably, or not probably, but maybe could have still had their rights. Yes. But still, I mean, the longest placement was four years. That's that's really kind of sad that um, you guys had to move around that much. Yeah. It, it totally messed with me because even now as an adult, I still have issues 
with the moving around because I, you know, grew up from age six to age 18, the fact that I was moving every six months. So I always keep a, a, um, um, duffel bag ready to go because of the fact that that's what I grew up with. Still today you do that? Yes, still today I do that. Wow. That speaks volumes to what the effects of childhood really has on our adulthood. Yes, it does. What other ways do you think that having been placed in so many different homes and and having had the experience you did has changed you as a man you are today? Um, It's definitely taught me um, because of the fact that I was so young, um, taught me how to fight for myself, taught me how to speak up for myself and be able to um, voice what I want done. So now um, you aged out of the foster care system. What did that look like? Was it just like on your 18th birthday? Was it like, okay, here's your duffel bag. See you later. I mean, what did that look like? So when I aged out of foster care, like I said, I aged out November 15th, 2010. Um, I went in front of the court because I still had to go to the court system every I think it was every three months um, and talk with the judge. But when that time finally came, I went in front of the judge, you know, and he said, well, you know, it's been a pleasure, you know, being able to see you grow up. Um, it's, you know, my pleasure to have you go on to your own life. And so I went in front of him. Then I went in front of the DCFS. And they sat me down, asked me, you know, what's going to happen as soon as I turn 18? Where am I going to be going? Um, what they taught me a little bit of things of what I need to know when I do get out care. I mean, did you have any way of supporting yourself? Did you have a job? Had you finished school? Um, I was in the middle of. Uh, finishing high school. So in 2010, I was in my senior year, um, just barely began my senior year of high school. Um, and I was going, going to school, finishing that uh, on my own. And so I went every day to school. I just kept on going because I knew that the education was such a uh, important thing. Wow, so here you are. You're on your own. You're trying to finish high school. You've got a job. You know, where did you stay? So, when I got out of care, um, I went from living in foster care. My sister had gotten out of care in 2005, 2006. Um, and so she had been living up in Seattle with her, her husband. They got married in 2008. And so she had come down saying that she would take me to get me on my feet, which I really appreciated. 
the fact that she was there for me, even though, you know, she's been out of care so long. So. so how much older was your sister than you? She is um, about seven years older than me. Okay, so she'd already been through that. Now, were any of your other siblings adopted out? No, they were not. Wow. They all stayed in foster care the whole time until they aged out also. Wow. That sounds like a real disservice the state has, has done because, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't blame the state for this necessarily all the time because there's a lot they didn't know and a lot they're still learning. But a lot of times the system itself, just due to its own inadequacy, can really fail a kid and not set them up to for success because the truth is that the statistics tell us that most kids who end up leaving care without a support system around them will end up going out into the world and going back into state custody, usually on a whole different level, though. Yeah. And see, that's the thing. Um, when I lived with my sister, we still had that, that uh, I guess you can call it anger against each other because of the fact that I went through so many foster parents and I would go back to the first foster home, you know, every so often, but it wasn't the actual, um, physical, you know, brother, um, sister relationship that we, that normal people have. I would see them every once in a while. So when she had me move in with her, it was very rocky. And so I came back and I, lived on my own um i actually got an apartment because i had gotten a job and was successful um but even after that my job i got laid off from my job and so then i was homeless for about three years because of that wow that's a statistic right there you know the the number of of kids who end up homeless or in the or in the uh, the uh, prison system after being in foster care is the numbers are just super high. What do you think could have been done yeah. to to help you be able to transition into a place where you had more of a chance to succeed and not have those same risk factors? I think um, just from my experience is that I think the foster care system could have done. You know, if it was six months or seven months in advance before you aged out, they could have sat you down, had some classes that you would go through, you know, through money management, you know, keeping a job, uh, even doing a resume or even looking for an apartment. You know, you say all that, and back in a very, actually, long before you left uh, foster care, I was leaving the military. And when I got out of the military, they did exactly that for us. They had a whole transition period where you went and sat for a week of classes on just exactly those things. They would help you build a resume and, and help you look at, at getting housing secured and, and job. Well, they'd already trained you how to be a good employee. <laughs> the Army has a way of doing that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they took the time to really transition you out of that. And I can see that being very helpful, especially for a young man who hasn't had that experience of permanency in their life, because that's the big thing. That's one of the big buzzwords in foster care is permanency. 
that we talk about a lot. And it doesn't sound like you experienced a lot of permanency. What would you what would you say about that? No, I didn't. I experienced a lot of permanency. It was like I say, it was every six months I would move. But the one person or the two people that I give all my love to and all my gratitude for is my last foster parent, um, Laura and Everett. They were the ones that I lived with for four years. And they you know, took me in. They showed me what love was. And they just were there for me all those years. And even to this day, there's still that connection with them, even though it's been almost 10 years since I've been out of foster care, it's still there that I can go over and have dinners with them, and we have holidays together. And And I can only imagine as a young man, a free dinner here and there is always a welcome invitation. Oh, yes, it is. That that's just wonderful that you were able to make that connection finally. It's a shame that it took so long for you and care to to find a place to make that connection. What is it about them? Do you think that that made that connection work between you you and your last set of foster parents? Um, just touching base on what you just said. My dad, he was a Marine in the Vietnam War. I want to throw a plug in real quick for my buddy John Williams. John Williams helps lead the organization Life That Counts. He also happens to have a podcast called Life That Counts. Go check him out. They are a nonprofit. So let's be honest, we all know how they work. They need help from the community supporting them while they support our community. So go check him out at lifethatcounts.org or on YouTube or on any of his socials at Life That Counts. Now, back to the show. And so I think he knew how to structure me um, because of the fact of my behavior issues. I didn't know what was going on, so I was always angry. He knew how to take that and just mold me that I was a better person and better um, had better attitude. The Marine Corps has a way of teaching kids that. Not knowing what he did in, in Vietnam, but most of the guys who came back from Vietnam came back with their own level of traumas. You know, we, we call it PTSD today. Back then, they didn't really have a name. I think maybe they called it shell-shocked at one point and a few other things. But PTSD was a real part of that. Um, I can only imagine that you probably suffered from a significant amount of, of that same PTSD from the traumas you experienced in care. Do you think his experiences helped you be able to connect with him better? Yes, I do, because he went through a lot, um, and that's the thing, even though he didn't like talking about it, me and him would sit down and we'd talk, um, he would he would tell me things that happened, what he had to do, and it was just um, allowing me to be able to open up and tell him some of the stuff that I went through, um, through my foster care, and just be able to share it felt good that I had someone that I know could listen. Wow. That's that's a huge piece right there. Having somebody who can connect with your trauma. You know, that's that's something that 
that we don't do well in our society. I think we it's easy to get online and just berate somebody and tell them how much of an idiot they are, how stupid they are, their opinion is, and and talk down to them. And we rarely take the time to sit and listen to somebody else tell their story, in a, especially in a way that's that's productive. And it sounds like you had somebody in your life who was willing to do that for you and help you really connect with, with that piece of trauma and see that you, you had a way out of it. Yes. And that's the things that, like I, I told you, I, I'm kind of nervous about doing this is because I've never really told anybody, but being able to talk with my, my foster dad and to tell him that it just, you know, allows me to tell more people and to be more open about it. Because, yeah, it is a traumatic event that I went through. But, you know, I've learned so much from that traumatic event that it's taught me how to be a better adult, to be a better father, to um, trust more people, even though I still have those issues, but it's not as bad from when I was a kid. Well, let's just assume that somewhere along the way, the the great Google algorithm is going to share this episode with some young man who's, you know, 18, 20 years old and just stepping out of a similar situation. What do you think the most important thing that they need to hear is that you learned over time? Um, the most important thing is that always stand up for yourself. You know, even if you feel like no one's standing there, there is someone there. I for the longest time, did not feel that someone was standing up for me. But me standing up for myself, then meeting Everett and Gloria, that made me feel loved. That made me feel everything. You know, you're going to have those relationships that you were in care with, you know, some of the foster parents that you go back to this day and that you go see. They're always going to be there. Did you make any other connections with any of the other foster parents you, you were with? Um, Not really. I went, you know, like I said, it was barely six months at most um, with those houses. So there's some people that I go see, but it's not a strong connection. It's a, hey, how you doing? You know, okay, I'll see you later. It's more of a friend relationship. It's not like a mom and dad relationship. You know, we talked recently with the guy, Barry Farmer. He has a he's a guy on a nationally syndicated morning show and he's adopted it three boys, I wanna say. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. that we were we were talking about is is how important those mentorship placements are not placements. How important the mentorship is that you can receive from somebody who doesn't necessarily even need to be a foster parent, just somebody in your life who can really speak into your into your world, into your trauma and your struggles. Did you have any good mentors growing up, maybe a teacher or somebody like that, somebody from school or church? Yeah, I had um, a lot of good teachers um, going, through the, uh, going through school. One of them is uh, Miss Denoyer. She was one of my English teachers, and we connected because that's one thing that I loved was English. Um, and so we connected through uh, the different movies like uh, To Kill a Mockingbird or 
you know, The Outsiders, some movies like that, we were able to talk about that and um, go beyond just the actual schoolwork. We were talking through everything. <clears throat> Those connections seem to be really key. You know, my my own friend group involves a couple people who who had those those relationships in um, with some of my friends and through my dad and his ability to speak into young men's life. He was one of those guys who was just specifically talented to speak to young men. Me, on the other hand, you give me a three year old and buddy, we're gonna have a good time. I may look like a big, hairy, scary, you know, brown looking dude with a big beard and and an angry face half the time, but. I'm going to tell you a three-year-old can see right through it. And <laughs> we just tend to have a good time. And th those are the places where I make a lot of great connections with kids. But just wherever you're at in your life, it's amazing the difference you can have when you reach out and just mentor a kid who needs something that they're not getting at home. And you never know what that is. I mean, did the people around you know what your what your situation was like, your friends at school? Some of them did. Um, I had some friends. Um, not going to say their last things, but Brandon and Caleb, they were my friends since middle school. They knew every single thing about me, uh, what I went to. And they were the ones that we went to uh, sixth grade all the way up to graduating. And we were so close that they knew everything. They knew what I was going through. Um, they knew even when my grandma died in 2010 that... They were there for me, even though I was still at school. I was a total mess, and they're the ones that I thank for being there and supporting me. It sounds to me like the group of people who've come around you to really choose to be part of that mentorship have made a huge impact in your life. Yes, they have. Have you found a, a way to to reach out towards any other kids in your world at this point in your life to to where you can give that back to anybody? Um, I've actually met a few foster kids, even when I was aging out, I told them, you know, always keep your head up, um, always, you know, remember that people do love you. And that's the thing, when I was in foster care, there was some of the, the homes that I went to, um, that they weren't the greatest of homes. They actually had to lose their license because of how they treated the foster kids. But the fact is that those kids that were younger than me looked up to me to be their voice. Wow. That's a heavy responsibility. Mm -hmm. But it's also an incredible yeah. honor to be able to do that for someone else. Yes, it it was an honor, you know, just to be able to be their voice and tell tell the foster care system what these homes are doing and just the foster care system we had um, this thing called respite care so every every other weekend or once a month uh, we'd go to a different foster home to give our foster home uh, breaks from us and so. There were some of them that I went to, um, like I just mentioned, that I had gotten their license taken away because of how they treated the foster care. After being in the system yourself, 
would or would or have you ever considered becoming a foster parent? I've thought about it. Um but right now I'm still trying to work on myself. I'm becoming more outgoing and more um being able to um uh, express everything. So that's why I haven't made the the jump on that. And I can understand that. You you do need to take care of yourself first. You know, I just didn't know if that was somewhere in your thoughts, you know, as you continue down your path to um, becoming healthier. You know, I just didn't know if that was something on your radar, because I know um, from just talking to different people, and this is what me and Jason do, is talk to different people that have been in the situation. That's usually one of the, a lot of times that's a driving force as to why some people decide to become foster parents is from their experiences. So I didn't know if that was mm-hmm. something that, you know, you had thought about if it was on your radio radar. Yeah, and I think that's another reason why, you know, like I said, I'm dating this girl that has a daughter, not by biologically by me, but by someone else. It's the fact that I want to be there for someone, even if, you know, something's happened in the past with the mom or the the dad, I want to be there to show them love because I didn't get that till the last four years of my life, my life in foster care. Right. Um, now, you said you're you're working on your on yourself and trying to take care of yourself. Are, are you doing therapy or have you found some groups that would be helpful? Anything that you could maybe share with somebody out there who's listening that may be going through a similar situation? Yeah, I've gone to therapy and it's always good when I was younger. I thought, oh, therapists are a joke. They can't help me. But me being able to go see a therapist now and talk to them and express all the the feelings that I bottled up, it's helping me become, you know, more open. And that's why I'm currently working on a book to tell my story about foster care. And that's why I'm also doing this podcast is because of the fact that I want to help anybody that I can help that feels like they don't have a voice. That's really neat. That, that's yeah. awesome. You know, do you have a title for this book yet? So my book's uh, title is My Journey. It's just a little biography, I guess you can call it, um, about, you know, my birth, um, some of the chapters, my travels, my experience, some of my education that I went through. So. Now you talked about your dad being, you know, being the reason why you moved from the home. Um, but we really didn't talk about your mom at all. Is, was your mom really involved in the picture, or um, what was the story with her? So my mom and my dad, they had divorced when um, my mom was pregnant with me. Um, so my mom, she, at three days old, 
put me on my dad's doorstep and said, okay, here you go. He's your issue. So we would see her once in a while, but it wouldn't be the mother-son uh, bond that's, you know, that's normal. It's, you know, to this day I go over and I still see her, but it doesn't feel like I'm actually there. Yeah, I can only imagine that that must really have shaped a lot of your your personal views about yourself and your self-worth when you hear the story as a kid about your mom dropping you off on your dad's doorstep and calling you his problem. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is I still go over that in my head. I'm still asking myself, you know, what did I do? Why did I get dropped off on my dad's doorsteps? Why can I, you know, be enough? But that's why I'm trying to work on things with my mom. But it's still a hard thing for her to um, deal with. And so we haven't really been in her relationship since age six when we got into care. Um, I went and saw her one time during um, when I was in foster care, but foster care didn't really allow that because of the situation. So they said I'd have to wait till I was 18. And so that's when I started seeing her again and um, talking with her. And so. Well, you mentioned that one question, and I see this as a, a common thread through almost every child of trauma's life, and that's that question that says, why couldn't I be enough? And I think I think social psychology now says pretty clearly that, that most kids ask themselves that question when they go through trauma. Um, is that something that you've, you've had much time to really think on and, and, and consider the fact that, you know, Maybe sometimes you're not, you know, you're not the one who's supposed to be enough for somebody else's struggles. Yeah, I've actually thought about that, and, and like with my mom's situation, maybe at the time she wasn't ready, you know, for to raise a newborn. Um, maybe she wasn't ready to have us full time, you know, to take us out of foster care, but. I, to this day, don't blame her anymore. I forgave her. I told her straight to her face. I was like, okay, you know, I understand what you did. I remember watching you run out of the courtroom when I was six years old. I forgive you all that. I still love you to this day, even though you weren't the actual mother that I pictured. I still have that love for you because you gave birth to me and you were my mom. Wow, that takes a lot, you know, to forgive someone for for hurting you like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that speaks volumes as to how far you you have come and and getting yourself some help and some acceptance, uh, because too often we as people just can't forgive. Sometimes it's just too hard, especially when someone yeah. has has treated you that way, you know, because children know no matter what, you know, children, they love their parents. They love their mom. They love their father. You know, it doesn't matter if they were talked badly to, if they were abused and beaten, 
those children still love their parents because that's your mom, that's your dad. And Mm -hmm. so to be able to go back and say, I forgive you. I mean, that's, that's truly huge. And I I hope you give yourself some credit for that. I do. I, you know, I give myself a lot of credit for that because that for the longest time weighed me down because I couldn't see her, you know, without feeling anger. And, and so when I finally said, okay, mom, you know, everything happened when I was six years old to now, I totally forgive you. It was like a huge weight off my shoulder because of the fact that I let go of all that hurt and that anger and all that distrust that I had. Well, I think that forgiveness piece is something that just can't, you can't let go of that because of when you know how powerful forgiveness is and you understand that it doesn't, you're never saying that's okay. You're saying, I choose to forgive you. And and your personal power tends to lie on the other side of that forgiveness. So that's huge. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that had a lot to do with the anger issues you had as a young kid? Was it anger directed towards your mother, or <laughs> I believe it was. It was directed towards my mother and the situation with my father, and also with me being thrust into foster care because I didn't know what's going on. I, you know, I would cry. I would feel anger, I'd act out, and I didn't know as a child how to express my feelings, you know. And so when I got to my teens, I was able to express that to my friends and to express it to some of my teachers that would listen to me. Then I was able to meet Gloria and Everett, and I was able to finally open up and stress everything and so that's why it made me realize okay I need to go to my mom tell her okay I forgive you oh well mad props to you for being able to get to that point because I I know plenty of grown men with a lot more years on their life than what you've got now because according to my math that puts you at about 27 Am I right? Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, you're um, you're miles ahead of men that I know that are in their forties and fifties and even sixties in learning how to forgive someone else for something and finding your way through that. So, I just you know give yourself that credit and know that that your greatness lands on the other side of forgiveness, and that's a hard lesson to learn. But but we all have to learn it eventually, or we spend our whole life being angry. So, has has that mm-hmm. anger? been something that you, you know, the anger you experienced as a child, is that something that is that has seemed to, to resolve itself since you've been able to get through that? Um, I've had to go um, I guess through anger management um, because of the fact that I wasn't expressing it properly but some of those classes has also taught me how to express it um, and what to deal with it. Wow, it sounds like you came through a really tough time as a kid, and you've come out the other end, maybe not somebody who has a, a rosy story to tell, but somebody who has an, a powerful story to tell. And I would imagine you're probably well on your way to influencing a number of, of kids in, a, in the next generation, because 
you have the ability to talk to people who have been through some of those same traumas, an ability that I don't have, that no one else does. And so, you know, I'm really glad that we were able to get together today so that you can tell the story to the world and let them know that there is hope on the other side of, of forgiveness. Yes, it was so nice to actually do this on a podcast because, like I said, I've told some of my friends, I've told some of my, my, well, I told my last foster family, but nothing national like this, nothing big time like this. So it's releasing everything that I've hinted up. So yeah, because now that your story is out there, you know, it's out there for the world to hear. You know, somebody else is going to listen to it. They're going to relate to it. Hopefully it will help them. You know, but at the same time, I have found by telling some of my stories, because I, I didn't have a uh, sunshine and rosy childhood myself, I have found that there's a lot of healing in telling my story. And not only with that healing, there's a lot of freedom that comes along with that too. And a lot of weight that comes off of my shoulders when I share my story and my experiences. So I hope that that this platform has given you that today. Yes, it sure has. And I appreciate you guys for having me on here. It means everything to me that I'm able to inspire someone else that, you know, I can tell them through this that, you know, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up on yourself. Don't ever, you know, when I was a kid, this is one big thing that I did when I was a kid. I always I always um, thought about committing suicide because I always thought I was enough. But the fact that I'm able to share my story and to uh, better myself. I mean, I went from getting on old foster care to... Um, I now own a car, I have a steady job, I have a house, I have, you know, a girlfriend, I have a four-year-old daughter, I have all that. There may be bumps in the road, but you will get through that. Absolutely. You know, you're you're telling the world that you are enough. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's the thing, you are enough. So I just, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story with us, feeling like you're able to do that, you know, and choosing us and allowing us to be able to sit here and listen to you today. Yes, thank you again once again for having me. It's a wonderful thing. I just want to reach to everybody that they don't feel enough. So. Well, thank you so much for all your time today. We really appreciate it. Yes, you guys too. Brian shared with us before the interview that this was the first time he'd had an opportunity to tell his whole story in one place at one time to an audience. I hope you were able to gain some wisdom from his experience. If you feel yourself compelled to look into foster care yourself, feel free to shoot us a message and we'll help you in any way we can. Otherwise, contact your local children's division or DCFS or DIFUS or whatever it is in your area. Every state calls it something else. If you have a story of your own that you'd like to share, feel free to contact us. 
at fostercareuj at gmail.com. Also, don't forget that we have a Patreon link if you'd like to support us. It's patreon.com slash fostercarenation. Because, I mean, guys, really, like I've shared before, I have one pool, I have a lot of kids, and they don't get out of it as often as I think they should. I think they're leaving something behind. I need more chlorine. Please send chlorine tablets. If you have any other questions, you can reach out to us at fostercarenation.com. We have a contact us link there. We'd love to hear from you. We'll see you guys next week. We put up new uploads every Friday, so be watching for it. Reach out and hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. And if you're on iTunes or Apple Play, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps the show get seen. We appreciate your time. We'll see you soon.